Okay, we are going to be picking up in Luke chapter 12, verse 49. Luke chapter 12, verse 49. So remember the context here. The context is that Jesus has a group of his disciples right around him, and then there are masses of people, so many people that they're stepping on each other. Jesus at some points is speaking only to his disciples, and at other points he starts speaking to the masses. And we can tell this because it says that he speaks to the masses in parables, and and then he explains things to his disciples. So in Luke chapter 12, verse 49, I've come to cast fire upon the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo. And how distressed I am until it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to grant peace on earth? I tell you no, but rather division. For from now on, five members in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother-in-law, and daughter-in-law against... I'm sorry, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And he was also saying to the crowds, when you see a cloud, to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say a shower is coming, and so it turns out. And when you see a south wind blowing, you say it will be hot today, and it turns out that way. You hypocrites, you know how to analyze the appearance of the earth and the sky, but why do you not analyze the present time? Okay, so let's go back up to verse 49. He says, I've come to cast fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. What he's speaking about in this portion again and again is he's speaking about the 70 AD judgment. He's in Jerusalem, and he's warning these people. It's around 30 or 35 AD in that time period. And he's speaking to them how in 35 or 40 years there is going to be judgment coming down on this city. And that judgment cannot be taken away. This was the third of three proclamations of judgment in the Scriptures that cannot be averted, even through the, 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 the repentance. It can't be averted. Uh, uh, and, and the first one we saw was at Kadesh Barnea. There was another one in the time of Manasseh. And in both of those cases, it says that, that they repented, but it didn't matter. The judgment was coming. But what matters is individuals that could be saved out of the judgment. There was a national judgment coming in 70 AD, but individuals could very much be saved out of it. And so what he's doing is he's calling individuals. He's saying, step out, step out. We are there. They were to recognize Jesus and accept Jesus as the Messiah. And that would pull them out of this judgment that was coming upon, upon uh, uh, the nation in 70 A.D. And the way it would pull them out of it is that the Messianic Jews, the Jews that believed Jesus was the Messiah, there's going to be a time right near 70 A.D. in about 69 A.D. There was a siege coming. And the siege, but then it pulled back and the Messianic Jews couldn't fight along with their brothers. And the reason they couldn't fight is because there was a proclamation going that was, that was intent on saying Jesus was not the Messiah in the city, and they said, we can't fight un- under that name. And also, 
it, it described the armies surrounding Jerusalem, and Jesus had warned them, and you will see those prophecies, warned them to flee at, the, at that time. So the Messianic Jews actually left Jerusalem at that time, in about 69 AD, left, and then the siege returned and overtook the city. He's warning them about the 70 AD judgment that's going to come. He says, I've come to cast fire upon the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is accomplished, or how determined I am until it is accomplished. Or, or, or the, the, the uh, New International Version puts it a little bit differently, and I think the, actually the NIV is a, is a, is a little bit uh, different, how constrained I am. In other words, he's constrained into this human body. He's going to undergo, a, there's going to be a, a baptism. He calls it his baptism. He, he's already been baptized by immersion. This baptism that he talks about is the suffering that he's going to undergo, the scourging and the cross that he's about to undergo on their behalf in less than about five months or four and a half months from this time that he's speaking. This is what he's talking about. Believer's baptism is something that we saw today where where, where, uh, Ryan and Emma got baptized. That is great. It is very good to do that. It is good to do that because it is an act of obedience. It's an act of obedience. This is something that we as believers go through is baptism. If you say, well, I was baptized as a baby, that doesn't count. The scripture says that they believed and they were baptized. Baptism is something that comes after belief. And so you believe and you get baptized. You say, well, it's kind of embarrassing. Good. Be embarrassed and get baptized. Walk in the fear of the Lord. Do what he tells us to do. Even Jesus himself permitted himself to be baptized. And so follow in his footsteps. And and all you have to do, you can send me an email. I'll forward it to Sammy. They'll get you lined up. They'll talk to you a little bit. And you get baptized. It is something you do. I've been baptized. I was... was, uh, um, I was 20 years old when I was baptized. And it, it's, it was an act of obedience. I don't think that you'll feel any different. Some people feel very different. Some people say, you know, in that moment, the water coming off their face, it was just such a... And that's great. I didn't feel any different. I felt like I'd been dunked underwater and came up. That's it. But it's an act of obedience. Here he's speaking of a baptism by fire that's about to occur, a baptism that he's about to go through. And then he says, do you suppose that I came to grant peace on earth? I tell you no, but rather division. When Jesus first came, remember the proclamation of of the angels. It says, peace and goodwill toward men. Had Jesus been received as the Messiah, which was the intent, had he been received as the Messiah, Jesus still would have had to die on the cross for our sins. He would have died on the cross at the hands of the Romans, and then he would have come in power and set up right there and then the Messianic Kingdom. It would have been set up then. But all of this has been delayed because of Israel not receiving Him as Messiah. And now comes division. He came with the intent of peace. It was not received. And now comes the division that's going to occur. When Jesus returns, we know absolutely that Jesus is not going to come in His second coming today. He might, there might be a rapture today. We don't know the hour of that where believers are taken up. That can happen at any moment. But the second coming says absolutely it must be preceded by the welcoming of the Lord 
the Lord's return, where Israel would say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They would welcome him back. They will look upon him whom they have pierced. They will weep over that. And as a nation, they will welcome him back. As a nation, they rejected him. As a nation, they will welcome him. And then will come his second return. And, and uh, um, this, this idea of, of the nation welcoming, there are still many Jews that are coming to the Lord because individuals are coming to the Lord. And this is what he's imploring those individuals at that time. He says, come to me, accept me as the Messiah. You get saved out of the 70 AD judgment that's coming upon, upon Jerusalem. He says in verse 51, Do you suppose that I came to grant peace on earth? I tell you no, but rather division. For from now on, five members in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son, son against father, and and mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Traditionally, the Jewish family has been a very tight unit. But you will see even today, if one member of that Jewish family comes to Jesus, there is an immediate division. In fact, because I come from a Jewish family, I can tell you that the Jewish families will be welcoming still to an individual, no matter what they go through. If the individual says, I'm a Buddhist, oh, it's okay, come on. If the individual says, I'm an atheist, oh, okay. If the individual says, I'm agnostic, okay. If the individual says, I believe Jesus is the Messiah, it's like, whoa. Jesus is the division in a Jewish family. Jesus is the dividing point. Three against two, and two against three. It's interesting that my mother came to know the Lord about, uh, about 14 years ago, and we're five, and so we're divided three against two. And two against three. There's a division. There's a division there because of our faith. Because of faith. This is what he's speaking about. This is going to happen. And it doesn't only happen in Jewish homes. It happens in secular homes sometimes as well. Uh, I saw a, a, a young American Indian come to the Lord. And his family was not excited about this at all. Wasn't excited about this at all. And so there are divisions in family in families because of Jesus. Because of the rejection of Jesus, there are divisions. He's speaking specifically here to Jewish homes. He's saying, here's the division that's now going to come. You come to me, there's going to be a division. You will sense that division as believers sometimes if you take a stand. If you're quiet about your faith, you'll find no opposition. If you speak about Jesus, there will be opposition, and that is good. Because there should be a challenge to the world. You say, oh, there's such persecution. I have never experienced persecution. I've not. I've experienced harassment. I've experienced uh, jokes. I've experienced uh, 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 some, some rash comments. But I've never experienced persecution. I've never dropped one, one nanoliter of blood for the cause of the gospel. I've not. Persecution is what some of our brothers and sisters around the world are going through. Where they're being beaten, where their homes are being burned, where they're being killed for their faith. We don't undergo persecution. It may come in our land. Talk about the believers in in Iran. Talk about what's happening to them, how they're imprisoned and beaten. We are not undergoing persecution. So if you feel as if you are persecuted, you are not. 
unless you can show to me, show me the bruises, show me the broken arms, show me the, the lost eyes, show me, show me something, show me evidence of that. And then I say, okay, yeah, you were persecuted. So now finally you're doing what the Bible says that you're supposed to do. What we go through is really kindergarten compared to what the scriptures are talking about. I want you to look over in Isaiah chapter 8. Because in Isaiah chapter 8, we're going to start reading from verse 11. This is the prophecies concerning the divisions that are going to come in the Jewish families. In Isaiah chapter 8. But there's a lot here for us in Isaiah chapter 8. Verse 11. Isaiah 8, verse 11. So this is, uh, if you kind of turn in the middle of your Bible, you find Psalms. And just a, a little past that, you'll find Isaiah. A few books past that. For thus, set, for thus the Lord spoke to me with mighty power and instructed me not to walk in the ways of this people, saying, You are not to say it is a conspiracy. In regard to all that this people call a conspiracy, you are not to fear what they fear or be in dread of it. It is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy, and it is He and, and he shall be your fear, and he shall be your dread. And he shall become a sanctuary both to the house of Israel and a stone to strike a rock to stumble over, and a snare and a trap for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So what he's saying, he says, don't, don't say, hey, there's a conspiracy against me. You can get, or I can get a chip on my shoulder. I should have two chips on my shoulder. One because I'm Jewish, another because I'm evangelical. So people are picking on me. Oh, they don't like me because, because I'm a Christian. They don't like me because I'm Jewish. And I've just got to get rid of these things. We're not to get this attitude like, you know, every, every time something happens to us, you know, we, we clinch our fists and we're ready to fight. I mean, things happen to everybody. And you may be, think that you're picked on, but remember, remember, don't say, oh, it's a conspiracy against me. He says, in regard to all this people in verse 12, Call a conspiracy. You are not to fear what they fear or be in dread of it. I remember when 9-11 occurred, there were students that were just in such dismay. Why are we even doing this? Why are we working so hard in school? I mean, look at the way the world's coming. Is there, are there going to be any jobs when we get done? I mean, is there anything? And I'd say, would you quit thinking like that? We are not to fear what the world fears. We do not have to fear what they have to fear. We don't have to fear famine. We don't have to fear terrorism. If the Lord takes us in an act of terror, we're going to glory. Great. We press on. We don't fear what the Lord has to fear. He says, don't fear or be in dread of it. It is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy. It is the Lord of, and He shall be your fear. You fear God. Fear God and keep His commandments. You know, every time we put aside His commandments and we decide that we don't have to fear God very much. That it's okay. I can, I can live, live this, this way in my life and it's okay. We lose a part of our own lives. You take a, a, a young man and a young woman who, who know the Lord and who start cohabitating before marriage and living together. They are losing something that's precious. And the longer they live together and the more they do together the harder it's going to be in their marriage, the harder it's going to be on their children, the harder it's going to be for them to draw close to Jesus. In, a, in disobedience, there is hardship. 
In disobedience, there is hardship. If you are a believer in Christ, yes, you will be in heaven. But you sacrifice great reward both in heaven and on earth. Every time we willfully make a decision to go against His commandments, we lose something. Something is lost. Fear God and keep His commandments. Fear Him and keep His commandments. His Word of God has not become dull. Everything in it is true and it will take place. And it will happen. If God says that something is not good for us, it is not good for us. And it will bring destruction in our lives the more we practice it. If you need grace, you call upon God for grace. You share it with your brothers. You share it with your sisters. You go to somebody who can counsel you and you begin to get some help. But there is grace and there is power because redemption is not a sham. There is real victory in redemption. And there is real overcoming of sin in redemption. That doesn't mean that we don't have to work at it, but there is the overcoming of sin. If we disobey Christ and we go year after year, week after week, disobeying Christ, it will take a toll on our lives. It will take a toll on our relationships. It will take a toll on our marriage. take a toll in our career. It will affect us. He says, you fear God and He shall be your dread. You say, oh, that's so Old Testament. It's not so Old Testament. It's life. We are to fear God and to dread Him. I was reading, and my father-in-law told me to read Exodus chapter 19 and chapter 20, and then go over to Hebrews chapter 12, and read the difference between the old Mount Sinai and now, now Mount Zion, what He invites us to. And as I was reading in Exodus chapter 19 and Exodus chapter 20, the judgment that was going to come, I was like, wow! I mean, God really means business. And everything He has said has come to pass. It is Him that we fear, and it is Him whom we shall, should dread. Because His Word is true. He says in verse 14, Then He shall become a sanctuary, both to, and, and to both houses of Israel, a stone to strike, and a rock to stumble over. So you see, in the house of Israel, He said, For the remnant, for those who receive the Messiah, for the remnant, He is going to become a sanctuary. To those that don't receive Him, He will be a stumbling block. He will be one on whom they strike their foot. He will be a stumbling block to Israel, to both houses, both Judah and to the northern kingdom. To both houses, He's saying. He says, but to those who fear Him, He will become your sanctuary. I need a sanctuary. I need one to whom I can run. And say, Lord Jesus, help me. Lord, help me. If you don't need that, fine. Whatever you don't need, whatever could have been offered to you, I'll take it. I need the sanctuary. You may say, oh, no, you're so stable in yourself. I am not. I come some mornings and I say, Lord God, help me. Lord, fill me. Fill me. I have this busy day in front of me. God, help me. Help me to get through this day. Help me to speak to this person. Help me not to lose my temper in this, in this situation. Help me to know what to say in this situation. And I pray to my God and He is my sanctuary. He will be yours. He will be yours. If you will so ask of Him. If you will so receive Him. He says to the other part of Israel, to those that didn't accept, He will be a stumbling block where they will resent any mention of His name. 
the beauty of Jesus' name. I love it. I love His Word. I love His name. There are some people that so hate His Word. You mention to them the Bible, they just, just get angry. And they so hate His name. What one group loves, another group hates. He will be a sanctuary or He will be a stumbling block. You choose. You can choose. It is up to you. But you fear God and you dread Him. That if you disobey, it will take a toll from your life. So you say, Lord, help me. Father, forgive me. Take, say, a, 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 a young man addicted to pornography. Just can't get, get past uh, uh, clicking on these things on the internet. You seek help for this. This will destroy your marriage. Jesus said if you look at a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery with her already in your heart. There are strong words about this and what it does, that destroys marriages. And you say, well, when I'm in marriage, I'm not going to need it. That's a lie. Men who are in this carry it right on into marriage. And then it starts destroying their wife as well when the wife sees uh, 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 who they're married to. You start dealing with it now. And there are ways to deal with it. You take this seriously. You start by fearing God and dreading what this is going to do in your life. What this can do in a life is destroy it. And you say, Lord, help me. And you start meeting with some counselor. And you start getting some accountability. And you start working through this thing. You get help. Because if we disobey, it starts extracting parts of our life from us. Okay, let's turn, turn back to Luke chapter 12. So he speaks about the division that would come. And then he, in verse 40, uh, 54, Luke 12, 54. And he was also saying to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, a shower is coming, and so it turns out. And when you see a south wind blowing, you say, it will be a hot day. And it turns out, you hypocrites, you know how to analyze the appearance of the earth and the sky, but why you not, do not analyze the present time? So he's saying to them, that you can tell, you can just look at the clouds, and you see these clouds rolling in, you know it's going to be rain. You're right. You feel a, a wind coming from the south, you know it's going to be warm. And you're right. You've analyzed, you know how to look at signs and, and analyze that time. He says, he says that, uh, uh, he calls them hypocrites. So, so totally, you, you know, nothing to do with political correctness for Jesus. But you also see how Jesus is a rock of offense. Jesus was only in his 30s and he's coming to men who are priests and leaders and, 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 and running the whole show and he looks them right in the eye and he says, hypocrites. Hypocrites. I mean, these are sharp words. I don't know if anybody's ever turned to you and said, hypocrite. I mean, these are strong words. And this is what Jesus did. It was interesting when I... When my own mother, I, uh, she wanted to find out what I was getting into, what it was this Christianity stuff. I said, well, why don't you read, read the New Testament and find out? Just read it. She's a very slow and methodical reader, and she started in Matthew, and she read the entire New Testament. It took her months because she thought about it. When she got done, I said, so, so what did you think of that? This is before she became a believer. She said, 
She said, uh, uh, I don't blame them for doing what they did to Jesus. I don't, I, don't, I, I don't blame them for killing him. I mean, who is this young guy to walk up and to start coming against all these leaders, all these religious leaders that have invested their lives into these people? And do you see how beautiful the thing that is for her to have said that? It means she really read it. Because if you read the New Testament, you've got to come away with the same thing. Either he's going to be Lord of our life, or it's like, who are you? Who are you to stick your finger in somebody's face and to say hypocrite? That's exactly what she should have said. She really read it. And then, and then I said, okay, well, why don't you go now and read the Old Testament? Read the Old Testament and, and uh, uh, see, what, see what you think. So, Jews are like Baptists. They never read their own scriptures. So, she started to read her own scriptures. She started in Genesis and she read right on through. So, she read the entire Old Testament. took her a few years. But really slowly, there was no hurry. I wanted her to really grasp this. And she came away after reading that, and she said something that would really be offensive to a Jew. She said, after she read it, she said, the Jews deserved everything that ever happened to them. And that's exactly what you should say. When you read about the rebellion and the warning, this is exactly what you should say. You should read this. They got what they deserved. They got exactly what God said would happen. And a few years later, the next time she was reading through the Bible again, and she was reading through the case for Christ, and she came to the Lord. God just, boom, just descended on her, and, 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 and she came to the Lord. And uh, um, I remember, remember when she called me to, told me, to tell me that, that she believed. I mean, it was just, God spoke to her. God spoke into her life. And then the next week she called me because we, we speak every Sunday. I speak every Sunday with my parents. Even to this day, I spoke with them this morning. And, um, and I remember the next week she called and she, she said to me, Jimmy, you can find any damn thing in the Bible. And I said, I said uh, what is it you found, Mom? She said, it, tells, it, it, it says husbands should love their wives. And I said, yeah, it does say that. She said, that's beautiful. I said, yeah, it is. I said, you, you ought to tell that to Dad. She, she said, I did. I said, well, what did Dad say? Dad said, I know all that already. <laughs> but the Word of God is powerful, and it works in lives. He says, you read the signs of the times. Now, why aren't you reading this present time? When he says this present time, he means what we're in now, what he was in then. He says, you have the Old Testament. Had you read it, had you known it, you would have recognized, I'm the Messiah. I'm fulfilling exactly what is here. Some people read this and they say, see, we should be able to know the time of His second coming. You will be wrong. You will always be wrong. If you try to know the day and the hour of the second coming, I guarantee you will be wrong. I remember there was a guy at the university. Oh, this, this was uh, about uh, 20 years ago. And he had, a, he had billboards on his front and his back, and he was standing by the edge of the university, and he was, had the date that Jesus was coming. And it was like four months from, from the date that, that we were at that time. And, and I tried to talk to him, and he was this Korean guy who had come all the way from Korea to warn us Americans that Jesus was coming. And, and I said, you know, we don't know the day and the hour. He said, he's coming on that day. He's coming on... Well, that day came and went. 
everybody, if you, if you predict it, God's going to choose another day, just to show you're wrong. So, 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 so don't even try. But he says, for this present time, for his present time, he says, you should have known it. You're seeing all these things being done. That's what he's making reference to. And so in verse 57, why do you not even on your own, why do you not even on your own initiative judge what is right? For while you are going with your opponent to appear before the magistrate, on your way there, make an effort to settle with him, so that he may not drag you before the judge, and the judge turn you over to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I say to you, you will not get out of there until you have paid the very last cent. So he gives them a parable. And he talks about this parable with lawsuits. And he says about making peace with the person that you're with. Now there are other scriptures. This is a parable which has to do with the, second, with, with, with the uh, uh, pending judgment. But there are, there are several portions in the New Testament that talk about lawsuits. And maybe one day we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. But it tells us that we are to avoid these things as much as possible. To avoid lawsuits. And, and uh, I, you don't want to be in, involved in a lawsuit. Nobody wins except the lawyers. I mean, it's just terrible. And uh, lawyers will, oh, well, you know, you file suit. No, you don't want to file suit. Try to make peace. It is so much easier to make peace. You are going to spend so much money. Wow, that guy did this to me, and I'm just going to... Just give him a call. And just say, I'm sorry. Can we just let this thing go? Just try to make peace. And if it's a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ, we are explicitly commanded not to have a lawsuit against them. Specifically commanded not to have a lawsuit. The Bible says it is better to be wronged than to win that suit. So you may say, well, it's a matter of principle. It's a matter of sin. Fear God. Let the thing go. If this is a believer you're up against, it's a matter of sin for you. You want to obey the Scriptures or don't you? But this, in this context, he's speaking about a parable. He starts telling them this parable. He says, why don't you just look on your own initiative and look what's right. He's calling these people. He's saying, as individuals, you can get saved out of this 70 AD judgment that's coming. This judgment that's coming on Jerusalem, you can get saved out of it. He says, while you're going with your opponent before the magistrate. So who's their opponent? Their opponent is Jesus. The magistrate is his father. On your way there, make an effort to settle with him so that he may not drag you before the judge. The judge turn you over to the officer. The officer throw you in prison. I say to you, you'll not get out of there until you've paid the last cent. He's speaking of this second coming again and again. Uh, I'm sorry, of this, this judgment that's coming. Upon Jerusalem, he's trying to get individuals saved out of it. Individuals that repent and receive him as the Messiah can get saved out of this. And we'll see in the next chapter, he just continues on this. It's all one and the same uh, uh, meeting time. He's calling them to repentance. He's calling them to turn to himself. And this call is also to us. Make peace with God. If you have never received Jesus as your Messiah... If you've never received Jesus as your Lord, it says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we shall be saved. Now, how can any thinking man or woman believe in the resurrection of the dead? It's because God has placed it within the hearts of men and women to believe. This is how He can do this. 
This is how he can call us to believe this, because he's given this in our hearts. I ask you this day, don't let it go and say, oh, well, you know, maybe someday, then I'll receive Jesus. Today is the day of salvation. Receive Him today. Receive Him today. If you're trapped in some sin as a believer, and this, thing, this sin has gotten hold of you, I'm saying today, repent and turn from it. Turn from your way. This is what He's calling those people to do. He's calling them to repent. He calls us to repent, to turn. To turn from our wicked ways and to follow His way. Make a decision this day to change the situation. If you're in a bad situation with another person, break that situation. I've known many young people, they, they, even, even as, as, as a young man and a young woman are getting uh, to know each other and they think that they're leading toward marriage, if they can't keep their hands off each other, it's best not to be alone together. You say, well, we really need to build up a relationship. Don't worry, you'll have, you'll have 60 years in marriage to build that relationship. Use the phone. Use it. Call them up and talk on the phone. Or sit in Starbucks or sit in the student center or something. Sit only in public places. You think that's kind of odd. It's not odd. I've known many people to do that. Don't be alone in a situation that's going to cause you into temptation. And if the other party says, no, no, we've got to be alone. I mean, what kind of relationship is this? If they don't value the things that are right, you don't want that person anyway. And the man should initiate this, and if he doesn't, the woman should present it to him, and you should be apart if you can't keep your hands off each other. Save that for marriage. Save it for marriage, because God knows what's right. And you can get to know each other just sitting in public places, or sitting out, uh, 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 you know, the weather's so nice outside, go sit out in a public place and just talk. Talk all you want. And, and, uh, but don't be alone together if that's a temptation. If it's a temptation. So what you do is you work very hard to obey God and to fear His commandments. It is Him that we should dread. Ask God to free you from that this day. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for Your Word, for the truth of it. Lord, I pray for these young people that they would indeed fear You and fear the commandments in Your Word that have specified what penalties would be. Father, I pray that they would take the Word of God seriously, that they would not lose parts of their lives as a result. Father, I pray for those young men that are struggling with pornography, that You would give them grace and strength this day, that this would be the beginning to the road of overcoming. Father, that they would learn to whom they could share that and and be held in accountability and give them victory. Father, I know that there is victory in Jesus. Father, I pray, I pray for these young people that you cause them to walk in your way. And for those that don't know you, may they make their peace with God this day, saying, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me because I am a sinner. And thank you for rising from the dead for me. And Lord, I commit this to you in the name of Jesus.